Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 401 with Brian Philco. Brian is talking about culture, how it gets created and maintained, and how to find out if a potential workplace has got the right culture for you. So you'll learn, one, why customers pay for culture, two, Brian's definition of a healthy work culture, and three, how to discover if your cultural fit right at the interview stage of a new opportunity. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep401. And while at awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope you check out some of our cool stuff. One of the coolest new things is the, the drop down on the podcast section of the navigation bar. So you can now check out every podcast episode tagged by the topic and the competency covered. Some of the very favorite episodes also listed A, B, C, D, E, F between episode zero one and more. That's the podcast drop down in the menu bar at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Brian's story. Brian Philco JD is the CEO of Jetco Delivery, a multi-million dollar Houston-based trucking and logistics company with over 200 employees that was named a top workplace by the Houston Chronicle, highlighted on the 2015 Inc. 5000 list and given the gold safety award by the Dow Chemical Company. Brian's also the author of Driving to Perfection, Achieving Business Excellence by Creating a Vibrant Culture. Big thanks to Brian for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Brian. She's well-known in Hawaii, and she's starting to make a good name on the mainland. But the song Island Inside Me, I uh, wrote for, for my wife for our anniversary. And I just had these lyrics going around in my head. But I'm not a songwriter. I can't sing. I'm not a musician. And I connected with Anna Hayden. We, we put this song together sort of as an anniversary gift. It took off. And it was like pretty cool experience, right? I don't, don't think I'll have that experience again. But to have that song and, you know, every once in a while, I'll hear it on serious type stations. It's, it's kind neat. Yeah, well, could you sing perhaps the refrain or the chorus or, or a segment for us? Oh, you don't want me to sing anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I know she's got it posted. I know it's available. But again, Island Inside Me. Yeah, if I sing it, you know, I think we lose all of our listeners right now. Okay, fair enough. Well, play it safe <laughs> this time. Play it safe, yep. You have a deep expertise when it comes to culture matters. You have some some real hands-on experience instead of only doing research and writing books. So maybe could you orient us a little bit to uh, where you've come from and why culture has become an issue that really matters to you so much? Yeah, I have kind of an interesting career. It's not one that you could have ever planned coming out of school, but I began my career practicing corporate law in Milwaukee. 
And maybe six or seven years in, I went to go work for my favorite client. They were in the recycling business. And it was a wonderful opportunity. We built that business while I was there for a good six, seven years. We sold it to waste management. I worked at waste for a couple of years. And then I, I bought my current company about 13, 14 years ago, trucking and logistics. So I've seen large Fortune 500 companies. I've seen entrepreneurial companies, everything in between. And, you know, it was interesting when I got into recycling coming out of the law business. I noticed that what we were selling were bales of cardboard. A bale of cardboard is a bale of cardboard. But we were commanding a premium. It took me a while to figure out why would anybody pay us more for what's in the truest sense of the word, a commodity. It didn't take me long to realize that other people would promise an order of you know 1,000 tons and they'd ship 700. There was so much gamesmanship in the business, but we did what we said. People were paying us a premium for peace of mind. They weren't really buying our cardboard. They were buying our peace of mind. And that was a lesson I got very early on post-law. It kind of woke me up to the fact that every one of our businesses, with rare exception, to some degree is commoditized. And I got real interested in decommoditizing what we do, not having it to compete as much on price. Yes, price is important, but if we can get to a situation where a customer appreciates our value proposition more than just the core product or service you're offering, you can command a higher price. And over the years, I learned that what people are really paying for is your culture kind of how you do things, what makes you different, that secret ingredient that nobody else can steal. So your culture is what they're paying for. It's how you do things differently, your secret sauce. So is that how you define a culture in those ways? Or do you have a particular definition that you run with? Yeah, let me give you how I define it. There's books and books on culture and the theory behind it. I'm not a fan of the theory because we're practitioners and we need to know now. So I'm going to keep it real simple and say that in simplest terms, You've got the beginnings of a healthy culture when you've got the right people and the right processes working in harmony. In a healthy culture, you've got the convergence of people and process. That's what yields consistent and hopefully excellent results for the customer. You could have the right people and no process, and every day is a new day. You could have the right process and the wrong people, and you know, forget about that. So I've learned over the years that it's getting the right people, the right process working in harmony, and it's also rooting your company in a well-defined set of values. We have so many arrows coming at us in the business world, so many different priorities that sometimes we forget that there's this adhesive that binds us together. I can't tell any business what their values should be, but once you've established your values, you've got to live by them and you don't compromise your values. And that's something that your team needs to understand, your customers understand. It's the adhesive that binds your company together through good times and bad, where priorities, on the other hand, they change by the day. We have customer issues. We've got service issues. But those priorities never, ever compromise our core values, who we are and what's important to us and what's important to our team. And once you've done that, you've got to walk the walk. You've got to live and breathe your values. As Whether you're in the C-suite, whether it's your first day on the job, you've got to agree that these are the rules that we're going to play by. That's interesting. You said you cannot tell another company what their values should be. I guess I'm imagining there are some that would generally be a recipe for good things and some that would be a recipe for bad things and a whole lot that it's sort of like it's a matter of finding the right fit in terms of, of the people and the processes and the industry and kind of what is your, your focus as a business. So could you give us an example of some values that are 
unique because I think a lot of organizations will say, hey, integrity, of course, is a big value. And sometimes they live it and, and walk the talk and sometimes they don't. But it doesn't really seem so distinctive when you hear that uh, integrity is a value. But it seems like in your practice, integrity is defined as doing what you said you were going to do when you said you were going to do it really was a differentiator there. So could you give us some examples of different values and how they come to life? Sure. I mean, let's talk about integrity for a minute, because you're right. That can sound overused. I mean, what company in the world doesn't say integrity is a core value? But now look around, right? And if you watch football as much as I do, you've seen the Wells Fargo ads, right? Established in 1860-something, reestablished in 2018. Why? Because they had integrity issues that really hurt their reputation. Opening up fictitious accounts, it was a pretty big deal. And Wells Fargo had to do work to repair its brand because of integrity. So it's something you take for granted. Then you realize that if you let it slip and don't focus on it, it could slip intentionally or unintentionally. So something even as simple and commonplace as integrity, if you as the leader aren't living it and are kind of looking the other way, one lie will breed a thousand lies. If I've got a problem with a customer, I'm not going to make something up. I'm going to tell the customer what happened and how we're going to fix it. And even though the customer may be upset, hopefully over time, the customer will respect me more because people can smell a lie a mile away. So if my team sees me behaving in that manner, they're going to follow my lead. On the other hand, if my team sees me acting with integrity, they're going to follow my lead. And especially as we are starting to work with younger and younger employees, people just don't want to work in a company where the values are adrift and integrity. Another great example is respect. And again, people use respect too loosely, in my opinion. When I say respect, what I'm talking about is treating people like human beings first and employees second. That's the ultimate respect. The ultimate form of disrespect is anonymity. Hey, you're number 100. Go do your job. Punch in, punch out. Not knowing a thing about that employee personally. And as my company has grown, you know, I can't know a thing about all my employees, but my manager's better. There needs to be something in the culture that makes sure that my managers know their employees like I know my direct reports so that everyone is accounted for. And the, the ultimate form of respect, like I said, is making sure that people's overall human needs are met and that nobody, no matter if it's their first day on the job, feels like, you know, all they're doing is punching a clock and if they didn't show up, it wouldn't matter right? That's just a horrible situation to be in. And so respect is a value. Those are some of the things that we do to promote respect, regardless of what it is you do, because you're an important member of the team, regardless. Right. Okay. Well, so I'd love to dig in a little bit in terms of thinking about values when it comes to finding fit with regard to a career planning. How do you think about that game? I'd say both in terms of zeroing in on what values matter to you and and then assessing whether a company really has it. Because I think a number of cultural pieces in terms of how things are, are done in a given organization really can vary and very fine and suit different people differently. So for example, I think that some folks would say, oh, you know, we're all about collaboration. And so we've got an open office floor plan and we've got a bays with a 10 employees in each of them. And so they're always kind of seeing and interacting with folks and we're always on Slack and doing that. And then some folks would say that would drive me insane. I need my quiet time to really focus and go deep in creating stuff. And so that would be sort of a natural mismatch when it comes to how you prefer to do your thing and how the organization is, is doing their thing. So how do you think about navigating this whole 
fit and research game? Such a great question, because whenever I see forced fun, I run away. I go in the opposite (laughs) direction. So for me, having a slide in the middle of the office and having all those amenities, that's all well and good. But that's not culture. I mean, that people mistake that kind of stuff for culture. Culture is not campfire, fun and game stuff. This is a hardcore business proposition. If kind of the slide in the office fits your culture and it's in the context of an overall healthy culture, it's fine. But if you're using those bells and whistles to get employees in and then once they come in, they realize you're in a toxic environment, that doesn't work. So to me, there's some subjectivity to it. There's definitely a component of individual taste. So maybe I prefer a company that's more formal. Or maybe I prefer a company that's more casual. Maybe having a social life with my coworkers is important. Maybe I don't want it at all. Maybe the company is extremely hierarchical, has a well-defined org chart. Maybe the company is more loosely defined. All that's okay. And none of that is indicative of whether the company has a healthy culture or a poor culture. It's how the company chooses to operate. It's own personality. That's where you've got to find the fit. And again, there's no right or wrong answer there. But when you want to talk about how do I find the right culture, regardless of whether it's hierarchical or loose, whether we're wearing suits or whether we're wearing shorts, that's the key is to dig beyond the surface, dig beyond the slide. And it's not one size fits all. I think the best advice I could give somebody is when you're doing an interview, okay, you you definitely, you're going to speak with the hiring manager. You might speak with human resources. But the real people you want to talk to are prospective peers, prospective coworkers. And we do that with pretty much all of our job interviews, whether, again, it doesn't matter the level that we're hiring for. We want to be sure that peers can talk unscripted and what it's really like to work here. We want to make full disclosure about our company. We're proud of it. But we know that just like any other company, we, we're not a fit for everybody. And we'd rather know that before we make a hiring decision or before you would agree to join our company. So there's nothing like a peer-to-peer interview where you can ask questions, you know, so what's it really like to work here? The company's recruiting brochure says X, Y, Z, but six months later, is that really what's happening? Do they have a good looking recruiting brochure or are they really delivering the goods? So the best advice I can give is do your homework on the company, understand what the company is all about, understand its culture, but peer to peer, man, I mean, that's really where you're going to learn what it's like to work there. And by the way, if that peer to peer interview goes well, now your new coworkers, they know you before you start. They've got a vested interest in integration. They've got a vested interest in bringing you in and, and helping you succeed, right? If they say to the hiring manager, wow, thumbs up, let's bring this person in, that opens the door and creates a pathway for success in a way that just a traditional interview, and by the way, everybody, here's your new coworker who you've never met, doesn't work quite as well. And I'm curious if that organization, if you're interviewing and an organization and they don't have the wisdom to enact such a process. Do you have any pro tips in terms of how you'd go about proactively having those conversations and some of the key things you'd want to say when you're in the midst of them to learn what you really need to learn? Let's say that I'm interviewing at an organization and they did not give me the benefit of engaging in these conversations peer to peer. And so it's a little bit more on me to be proactive in terms of finding these people, having these conversations. How shall I find them and engage them? And what should we say when we're talking? 
Well, a lot of companies may not offer the ability to interview a peer, okay? And so first thing is just ask, say, hey, can I interview somebody in the department that I'm, can I meet with somebody in the department that I'm interviewing to work in? A lot of times the companies may say yes, but if they say, no, that's not our practice, we don't do that. Okay, let's respect that. I would still ask the hiring manager questions. What are your company's values? Give me a feeling for when those values were challenged and how did the company respond? Just like they're going to ask you those questions, right? They're going to ask you, tell me particularly a difficult problem, a difficult situation. How did you address it? You better be prepared to answer that. Well, I think that, you know, it's a fair question for employers too, is tell me your story. If you look at it as an interview as a two-way street, not just the hiring manager interviewing you, look at it as a conversation. You'll be able to develop that feel just almost organically in a conversation. And if it's that tight and that rigid, and you don't have that opportunity, the company is telling you something about its personality. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's probably not a place I'd want to work. And that's not kind of how we would bring employees in. I mean, I, I want an open door, full disclosure. But if companies don't do that, you know, with social media, you can still network and find people who work there and talk to them off informally or former employees, talk to them. But you can also have that same conversation with your hiring manager. I love it when people come in, they've done their homework on the company, and they challenge me with questions. And that tells me that I'm dealing with somebody exceptional uh, who understands that the interview is a conversation. Well, yeah, I love that point on social media. LinkedIn is so cool with all the filters that you can dig in and search for folks that way. People with, you know, used to call LinkedIn the, the boring version of Facebook or Instagram, right? But LinkedIn is the encyclopedia for network. I use it all the time is such a valuable tool. Absolutely. And I really love that question you asked in terms of talk about a time a value was challenged because I think a lot of times you're probably going to get total blank stare response like, uh, these are just the words we repeat. <laughs> I can't think of any real ex experiences to, to share with you right now. So that tells you something right there. But now you got me curious. Brian, can you tell me about a time in your company that uh, you had a core value that got challenged and how did you live it out? Sure. In 2015-16, we're in trucking and logistics in Houston. That was a rough time, okay? I mean, the en energy markets collapsed and business was really challenged and we had to make some very difficult decisions. And in doing so, it wasn't like memos from the C-suite. We brought our employees into the process. When we had to make the company smaller and downsize, we met with our employees. We treated them with respect. We made sure that everybody knew what we were doing, why we were doing it. And what it did is it, it created sort of a foxhole mentality that, you know, we're not working around our employees. We're not sugarcoating like, oh, everything's okay. Don't worry about it. We brought them in and we fought the war together because we were so transparent and open with them. You got to be prepared to share good news and bad news. And in doing that, for example, safety in our company is a core value. We don't compromise it. Well, no matter how rough business got, no maintenance got deferred. Every single vehicle was maintained regardless of the company's financial performance. And I've seen other organizations where, oops, business is bad. Let's figure out where to cut. Well, we can cut maintenance. No, if safety is a core value, you don't cut, you don't defer maintenance. You keep running your business. I can use that time when this company was really challenged and really stressed by a rough economy and people in other businesses were losing their jobs left and right in Houston during that time. And we just took a very contrarian approach that we're taking our employees with us. And even though we couldn't take everybody with us and we did have to let people go, it was done, like I said, with dignity, with respect, and then with complete transparency to the rest of the team. And that's created kind of a, I think, an unparalleled level of camaraderie as the company has 
rebounded, recovered, and grown so well in the past couple of years. That's cool. Well, can you share uh, some other perspectives when it comes to zeroing in on determining if a culture is a fit for you? Do you have some extra perspectives and tips when it comes to determining if an opportunity has a good cultural fit for you? Yeah, I think that you got to be careful not to conform yourself to become somebody that you're not. So don't mold yourself to a culture that doesn't fit. You've got to understand what fits. So in our situation, in a healthy culture, you've got to have employees who are technically excellent and who are in line with the company's values. You get yourself in a lot of trouble when you look the other way. I've got a technically excellent employee that's walking all over everybody else, just a horrible team player. Well, I have to either coach that employee back in to working within our values. They can't be part of the team, no matter how technically good they are. And a lot of times we look the other way when it comes to technically good people, even if they're destroying the morale of the company. So as an employer, you've got to stand up to that and be sure that, you know, you've got people who are value aligned and who know what they're doing. Well, similarly for the employees, you can't really fake it. I'm assuming you got the job because technically you, know, you, you, you met the criteria. But in a healthy culture, I hope that you're yourself, that you don't force anything that in a healthy culture, you'll be challenged, right? Hopefully that culture will make you a better employee and a better person. And hopefully you'll do the same. You'll make the company a better company and you'll improve your coworkers. But if it doesn't fit, you've got to know it. And I've seen too many times where people jump at the money. They jump at the money. Oh, somebody wants me. I'm going to accept the job without asking these questions of, am I going to be happy? And you may make money and you'll be miserable. Life is too short. So that's why interviewing for culture and being aware of culture is just so critically important because, you know, we've all had maybe in our careers, the Sunday night blues, you know, kind of that horrible feeling that Monday's coming and I got to go to a place that I really don't want to go. I've had that in my career. And because I've had that in my career and I understand it so well, part of my job is to make sure that we don't have the Sunday Night Blues, that people are excited to come to work because they're treated right, because it's a place that they know they fit in. But if you don't fit in the place and it's not right for you, you've got to know when to get off the bus too. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Well, Brian, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I like to always say that the foundation of the culture is what I call the three T's. Um, treatment, transparency, and trust. And if you've got that, and if you work at a company, look, I'm in the trucking business, and I've got a lot of people who've told me, well, geez, I never thought in my life I would get into the trucking business. How did you as a corporate lawyer decide to do it? And first of all, I love the industry, okay? But it's an industry that a lot of people might not necessarily just automatically gravitate to. But it almost doesn't matter what you do as long as you love the job, you love the people. So I think Treatment, transparency, and trust, whether you're in a medical office, trucking business, law office, doesn't matter. Treatment, like I said before, you're a human being first, an employee second. The ultimate form of poor treatment is anonymity. Transparency is just making sure your team is engaged. And the best way to engage your team is explain the why. If you give me a memo and you say, Brian, just do it, my personality is going to be to rebel. I'm not going to do it because you told me to do it. <laughs> but if you say, Brian, look, here's why we're doing it. Here's the why. It's not a democracy. I'm not asking for your vote, okay? But here's the why. I'll be a lot more inclined to participate. I'll be a lot more inclined, inclined to support. So just make sure you take time to explain the why. And as an employee, if you don't know why, ask why. 
And if somebody says, well, never mind, you know, it's none of your business, never mind, that's a little tip, isn't it? But the key to engaged workforce is for everybody to know their mission, know the company's mission, know their role. Why? And then finally, trust. If there's no trust, let's forget about all this. I mean, in a company where trust is lacking, where people say one thing and do another, you're operating on quicksand. And you're never going to have employee satisfaction where there's a lack of trust among coworkers, lack of trust where leadership doesn't trust the employees, employees don't trust leadership. So treatment, transparency, and trust are the three critical elements that I would look for in any business. I don't care what what the business does is a sign of a healthy culture. Lovely. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something that you find inspiring? Well, probably my favorite quote is, it's too long, but I'm going to just read a little bit of it. It's, It's Teddy Roosevelt's quote that we're all here in the game, and there's people on the sidelines that are always going to be throwing stones at you. And it says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I love that quote. I just, I love it because you've got people throwing stones at you your whole life, right? Just forget about those people and go out there and be your best. Awesome. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I'd like to, if possible, move to a couple of books that I'd like to kind of recommend. All right. My favorite book, if you took all my books away, would be The Advantage by Pat Lencioni. I think that's the one book that everybody needs to read in college, coming out of college. I go back to that book all the time. It really lays out the basis for a healthy organization and your role in the healthy organization. And so really, I like anything that Lencioni writes, but The Advantage is my favorite. Another book that just came out last year that I'm really into is called The Motivation Myth, because I'm not, as you probably can guess by now, I'm not into a lot of the motivational, feel-good speakers and those kinds of books. And what The Motivation Myth does is it takes the concept and turns it on its head and says, it's not like you have to have the motivation, then you do the job, and then you're successful. The motivation comes from the journey itself. So the book argues that it's those small steps, it's the victories, it's getting knocked down, getting back up. The motivation comes from those incremental successes. The more you have, the harder you work, the more motivation you have. Motivation isn't like a prerequisite. Instead, motivation is one of the things that comes from doing something you love. And the book also argues that, you know what, quit trying to be like you know, some of the celebrity CEOs, they did what worked for them. You've got to figure out what works for you. So spend less time emulating and spend more time figuring out what your own formula is. And I just love that as opposed to just, hey, do what I say, follow my advice, and you'll be successful. I just don't buy that. I buy you figure out your own formula, and that's the key to success. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? Trying to maintain a semblance of work-life balance. Um, I'm not by any stretch, nine to five, but I listen to my body rhythm. I listen to how I work. I'm up 
at crazy hours in the morning because that's when I work the best. But unless something is really important, you're not going to find me here you know, later in the day. You're not going to find me here necessarily on a Friday afternoon. So what I've learned over the years is that we've all kind of grew up in this eight to five world or seven to five or whatever it is. But hopefully, as I mean, as technology evolves and as employers become more and more progressive, this isn't true for every job, obviously. I mean, if you're an doctor or a nurse, you've got to be with your patients. But for a lot of jobs, the more you can listen to your body clock and know when you're productive and kind of know when you've got that momentum, the more effective you'll be. I could do something in a half hour that would take me five hours if I picked the wrong time and the rhythm isn't there. So listening to your body, kind of knowing how you work. Some people, as you know, are night owls. Some people, again, like me, are, are up before the sun. Um, but being able to know that and capture it, I think, is the secret to optimum production and success. Thank you. And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with your employees and, and folks who are reading your stuff? Yeah, when I'm talking to audiences, I do a lot of keynoting. There's a couple things. First of all, take your front lines with you. I use that all the time and it resonates. So when I, every time I, I don't like doing keynotes and just kind of closing and leaving. I like to do keynotes and then saying, all right, what are the takeaways? We're not here to talk about theory. What are the things that you'll implement the minute you get back to the office? And a lot of my keynotes, a lot of my presentation revolves around frontline engagement because I think that as a country, we've broken our contract with our front lines. And the more we engage our front lines, the better. So take your front lines with you, right? Bring them in. In my company, our drivers are, we have an elected driver committee that's part of how we run the company. We've got our drivers in management and operational decisions. So take your front lines with you is very, people use that a lot. The three T's, I guess, of flattery, if, if imitation is the ultimate form of flattery, I've heard other speakers use the three T's, but I think I may have, uh, may have invented that one. And then there's 206020, which is people quote a lot. And this is a story from when I was at Waste Management. And I got to Waste Management at a time when a CEO, a brilliant CEO, Maury Myers, was brought in to turn the company around. He brought his management team into the room. It was a large room. He had a large team. And was kind of rumored to say this, something like this. 20% of you know where we're going. And you're with me. And you know that we've got to make changes. And I appreciate that. 60% of you, you're scared. You know, the ship is changing drastically its course. And I'm going to work 24-7 to win you over. And the remaining 20% of you have made up your mind. You don't like me, and you don't like the direction that we're going. And here's the commitment I'm going to make to you. This will be the smoothest transition you've ever had out of a company, but make no mistake, you're out. So 20-60-20 means don't find yourself in that bottom 20 figure out how to continue to rise in your company and you either got to align with the company's direction and values or leave. And from an employer standpoint, you're not there to bat a thousand, simply not. I mean, part of your job is to weed out the people who are kind of a drain on your culture, a drain on your performance. So I'll tell you, people in my company will use 20, 60, 20 a lot, and we all know what they mean, right? So the three T's, 20, 60, 20, take your front lines with you, really are essential things that I talk about, when, not just when I keynote, but when I run my own company. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I point them at my website, which is Brian Filco, so B-R-I-A-N-F-I-E-L-K-O-W.com. And they can also email me, it's just Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at 
brianfilco.com. I'm easy to get in touch with and glad to kind of continue this conversation. Lovely. Well, Brian, this has been a lot of fun and I wish you all the best in making your culture all the more vibrant and excellent and business growth and all that you're up to. Thank you so much for the time. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciated Brian's take there about how when you're checking out a new potential opportunity for a new job, definitely talk with your your peers, your boss, your colleagues, former employees, those you'd be working with to get the truest picture of what's going on. It is something, it might feel a little awkward or uncomfortable, like you're, you're grilling them and who are you and you're trying to win them over and, and not make them think that you don't love their situation. I don't know if I've heard those sorts of worries or concerns, but no, you, know, you are evaluating them just as much as they are evaluating you. So you're well within your rights. Go there, do your detective work. If they don't want to reveal these things, that that tells you a little bit right there. And it's not such a good thing. So anyway, I think this is just absolutely a critical must do when you're pursuing a new opportunity. And yet I see that I believe it's done maybe less than half the time is what I've kind of gathered as I've talked to people about this. So please don't accidentally fall into a terrible workplace. Evaluate it in this sort of a way as Brian suggested. And just that warning ring true for you or people you care about who are considering new job opportunities public service announcement complete. Anyway, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we reference are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F401. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It's Christine Hassler. And Christine is talking about overachieving and the the symptoms of overachievers that perhaps you can relate to and how to navigate that all the more healthfully and appropriately. I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. If you're still listening here past the music, maybe you just really love and are grooving to the music, or maybe you need some other great podcast to listen to to fill your podcastable, listenable time. If that's the case, check out techmeme.com. They've got a podcast out now, and they've historically been Silicon Valley's news source for over 15 years, and now they've got their podcast. It's called Tech Meme Ride Home. They've got the day's tech news and some pretty impressive, insightful guests and perspective in that world. So check it out, Tech Meme Ride Home.